Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, it's Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? I feel like you're spending more time on this podcast than I am lately. Yeah, but that, that's not really the point. The point is we're here now, Renee. <laughs> uh, joining us today, it's Steve Bissinger. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing good. Steve is the sound designer for the recent film In Pursuit of Silence, which you can see in theaters in New York City on June 23rd, and there's going to be some other dates to follow soon after that. Steve's also done work on such films as Transformers, Despicable Me, 310 to Yuma, and Tombstone, uh, as well as House of Cards and David Fincher's new series, Mindhunter. You can find him at signlanguage.com. That's S-I-N-E language.com. How you doing, Steve? Good to see you. I'm doing good. Good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Steve. Uh, w- a couple years ago, I guess we should say, up on Kickstarter popped up a request for people to help fund a film called In Pursuit of Silence. And uh, a lot of people in the sound community, I think, really jumped on board. I know I backed it, and Renee, you backed it as well, right? Yep, I did. Yeah. So now that that film is about to come out, we're all really excited to see it. And it also seems like the kind of film that would both be terrifying and amazing to do the sound design for. And you are the lucky guy that got to do that, correct? I am. That's why we got a hold of you, because I wanted to talk to you about this film, because just to give listeners an idea if they haven't seen it yet, there is no dialogue or score of any kind in the first seven minutes of the film. And I think the score doesn't kick in until like 12 minutes into the film. So it's all on you. And that's a lot of pressure. And uh, I bet you you were just, uh, what's the phrase there? I guess you were just itching chomping to get... Chomping at the bit. Chomping at the bit? Chomping at the yeah. bit or chomping at the yeah, bit? Yeah, I, I believe it's champing. Champing, okay. Were you champing, right? Steve? Is it champing? <laughs> I, I guess I was champing, yeah. He was excited. This, this is what I we're trying excited. to imply. How did Go you ahead. first get involved with this film, and how did you meet Patrick, the director? I had worked on their previous documentary, which was called La Source, uh, which came to Skywalker, and uh, so we got to know each other. And so then when they told me they were doing another film and they told me what it was about, I was like, look no further. <laughs> I want to do that film for sure. Uh, you know, obviously a film with a focus on sound is going to be interesting. So, so and, I, and I talked to them for, I mean, they were, you know, they probably, I think it was a couple of years from the time I first started talking to them about it till you know, when it finally showed up on my desk. It seemed like it had a long burn. Um, I mean, when they, by the time they brought it to Kickstarter, it seemed like they had uh, had really been working on the concept of it for a long time. They knew exactly what they wanted to do, which which is what made it so easy for people like us to throw our money at it and back it, you know, kind of sight unseen. How early did they bring you in in the process? Well, they, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a short, I guess it was more emails, you know, a few emails with them early on. You know, they asked a few questions about mics. They were, you know, to their credit, they were really interested in, how to how to record the audio well on on location and given everything they were dealing with obviously they're documentary filmmakers so they're you know it's kind of a it's a small crew uh but they did an amazing job with that i you know i of course after the fact wished that i could have gone everywhere with them with a whole (laughs) slew of mics and recorded everything (laughs) get all this amazing location sound because it was all a lot of very specific locations and um but they did a great job they did a great job. So most of my communication with them was really about just kind of how to, how, to, how to record. And I know they spoke to a few other people, too. Um, you know, I, I, Sean Farley was involved in this, who I, I think you guys interviewed. Yeah, he was on podcast. an earlier episode of the podcast, yeah. for sure. So I think they talked to Sean a little bit about it, and I probably reached out to some other people as well. And as far as what they brought back from the location, like um, were, they, were they recording you know, in, in surround techniques? Were they recording quad, or was it mostly MS uh, as far as backgrounds and that type of thing? 
So now, so here's, I should give credit where credit is due. When they first came back, uh, I, well, let me, I'll, I'll start by saying that, no, they didn't record any surround um, stuff at the locations. I mean, it was, it was pretty standard. You know, they just did, they did a careful job recording, but, you know, there was no surround. I'm not even sure how much there may, I think there was some stereo recording. Uh-huh. Um, one thing that really worked to their benefit, since it's a film about silence, mostly, is they were in a lot of very silent locations. Yeah. So that, you know, that helps a lot, obviously. <laughs> um, and so uh, when I was saying to give credit where credit is due, when they, when they finally showed up with their film, they gave me about three weeks' notice, uh, and I wasn't available. <laughs> so <laughs> what we did, we and they were like, we have to finish this, we have to make it to this festival, you know. So I pulled Sean in, because I knew Sean knew those guys and uh, was into it. So he, so there was actually, the way we ended up doing this was he... Uh, he took a pass on the OMF, you know, to clean up, did as much as he could in the short amount of time he had. And then uh, Zach Martin, who's a mixer up at Skywalker, did, you know, kind of a festival mix. So we kind of did two mixes. Okay. Um, so those guys actually probably have, I mean, they dissected that, you know, the OMF much more carefully than I did. Right. Um, but, uh, and they did a great job, so. That that actually ended up being a really cool thing because what we did, you know, what I ended up with was a cleaned up, really good dialogue stem. Like all the production sound had kind of been dealt with in, you know, as much as they could in that amount of time. So before I started doing all the, you know, sound effects, sound design stuff, you know, I had a really clean track to work against that, you know, had already sort of to some degree executed their vision we took it a lot further after, after that, but. So as you kind of dove into it, how did you find your baseline with regards to levels and loudness with, especially at the top of it, when there's not a whole lot of dialogue going on as you're, as you're laying your sounds in, um, like where, where are you using kind of as your barometer for, for where things should sit? Yeah. This is actually probably the most interesting topic about this film of all. So they they actually took sound level measurements in all the locations, yeah. which was a really cool thing. And Patrick had this idea initially that he wanted to match in the theater the actual, you know, sound Decibel level that level, he yeah. had. Yeah. And, um, and I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that may, you know, that may be difficult. And... Uh, I think it did prove to be difficult. I think we eventually sort of somewhat abandoned that idea. Um, you know, just because, you know, when you're in a theater and things are at theatrical levels and you've got dialogue to go up against, you know, if you if you play stuff actually as quiet as it is, in most theaters it just gets lost. Yeah. And I think the biggest, really one of the biggest problems that we struggled with, and I honestly I think it's still a little bit of a problem, it's so quiet in areas that the dialogue will come in, you know, at a standard, you know, dialogue level and just blows blow you your head off because you're just, you've gotten so accustomed to this quiet thing. And we never quite, I, I'm not sure if we ever quite worked that out. I think it's just kind of a, the nature of the film. Yeah. yeah there's so. kind of a, there's a human physiological response with, when you're, when you're in a quiet environment, like the bones, the three bones in your ears actually tighten up and become more sensitive um, in response to the environment being quieter. And when you're in a louder environment, they loosen up and, and become less sensitive. There's kind of a natural human compressor built into your ear. Uh, mm. And I bet that's probably what some of what you were running into. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult. And we kind of went back and forth on that. But yeah, he really wanted, 
He wanted the quiet stuff to be really quiet. And, you know, of course, <laughs> and we did a screening up at Skywalker, which is like one of the few theaters where you can actually play this film and, and really experience it properly. Because when it gets that quiet, I mean, you know, the yeah. air conditioning in a lot of theaters is probably louder than what we were playing. Yep. So it's a challenging film to screen. I feel like you have experienced such a rare thing because actually Renee told, I don't know if you told me just while we were talking or if it was in the podcast about you were working on a, Renee was working on a horror film where the before he started working on it, the director had told him that he wants everything to be really quiet so that when the loud parts happen, it hits. And then Renee yeah. worked on it, made things quiet. And he was like, no, no, what he really meant was I want everything loud. And then when the loud parts hit to be even louder. Is that, right. that, that was your story, right, Renee? Did you remember that? That was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you're like the only person who's experienced the director going, no, it needs to be quieter, quieter, quieter. <laughs> right, no, it was an unusual situation. <laughs> yeah, the director actually And as we it. all know, that often doesn't work to do loud, 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 and then even louder. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't often have the desired effect. One of the things that I noticed about the film was the way that the pacing of the way that they cut it. Um, it was very nice and spread out. And it's, it's something as a sound designer, as an editor, I really, really appreciate when the picture cutters will pace things in a way that will allow me to show off details. Um, I felt like you had a, just a huge canvas to paint with um, in a lot of spots just because they would pick a shot and they'd just stick on it for a long time and you'd have all kinds of latitude to go for details. How did that feel to you? Yeah, it was a real challenge. Um, you know, and, and of course the instinct is to fill it up with sounds, you know, because, yeah. uh, I don't know, cause that's what we do. <laughs> and, you know, I found when I started doing that, so, I mean, to, to, I guess to maybe for people who haven't seen the film, I mean, it, it opens up and I mean, he'll sit on a shot of just say a tree is the opening shot, you know, in a big field for, you know, maybe a minute, a long, yeah. that's a long time. Um, and so the film in of itself is sort of a meditation, I think. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the goals of the film is, is sort of to, not just talk about the role of sound in our world and, and silence and everything, but, but to actually take people to that place. Uh, so, you know, what I discovered was adding tons and tons and tons of little details was not the way to go in, in many cases. Cause you know, in the real world, when you're in a quiet environment, it's air, a little bit of grass. And then like every now and then you hear a little thing, a little detail, a bird or something. And so that's kind of what, what I ended up trying to do was, was, I really wanted people to both be able to be in that kind of meditative space, but occasionally have a little detail kind of poke out that they could, you know, that would draw their attention. But it was a challenge. It went against all of my instincts, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially because I've been working on these other things where, well, with David Fincher, you know, on the Mindhunter and on House of Cards, where he likes every square inch filled. I mean, you know, every square inch. Right. So I was kind of in that headspace, you know, coming into it. <laughs> So why don't we talk about the opening, I think it's seven minutes, where we start, as you say, the first shot is of a tree in a field. First of all, before we start talking about the sound, let's just mention for people listening, it's beautiful, the images it in this is film. It's a like, spectacularly it's, beautiful film. Whoever shot it is a very talented person because they found angles and uh, ways of shooting things that might not be uh, super interesting when you first enter that environment. And then the way they shot it, it's just beautiful. But this opening seven minutes, it starts off with this like minute long shot of a tree in a field. And then it goes to, uh, I can't remember the order, but there's a lake and it just keeps, and a gas station in the middle of the desert. I think it's nighttime. And it, but things just kind of slowly get louder and speed up a little bit until you're finally an airplane flies over your head 
about seven minutes in and you're almost deafened by the loudness of this airplane. So how much of that sound was actual true location sound and how much were you putting in? Uh, I would say in that section, very little of it was location sound. Okay. As it always does, it, it varied shot to shot, you know, yeah. so like where there was, you know, valuable, useful material, I used it, you know, obviously. For sure. But I, I think, you know, most of the stuff we had was mono, a lot of it, well, you know how it is when you're on location and you're, you, it's yeah. not always, unless you're really set up to get a lot of, you know, with great mics and all that stuff, it's, it's sure. sometimes hard to get really good stuff. So yeah, I replaced a lot of it. And um, did you go out and record anything or was this all from library? I did record some things. I mean, as you might expect, this was not a film with a huge budget. Uh-huh. It was a struggle. It was a struggle just to get, just to edit the whole thing and, and get it, get it done. Uh, as as know, funders went, of the film, we would know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went... I would say literally months beyond what the budget was. <laughs> I mean, it was particularly interesting to me. So, you know, I went for it. So, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it was library stuff. Um, some of it was library stuff I'd recorded. Um, I, I wished so much when I was working on it, particularly like there's a section like in India. You know, there's some locations where I really wished that I could have gone and, and, you know, done, gotten the real location. What were some of your biggest challenges on the film? Like what, what things were particularly difficult for you? So that opening shot, which they did, there's a tree in the distance and there's uh, a lot of, uh, it's like a cornfield, I guess, that's blowing in the wind. And there was a bunch of shots like that. And what I discovered is trying to do long shots with leaf rustle is not a particularly um, full. Yeah, it just turns into white noise. Sound. Yeah, exactly. It's very white noisy. So that was a really challenging thing to kind of... Um, just just make work and make work for that long of a of a shot, you know. And it's an important shot too. It's the first shot of the film, so you... it is. It's not just the first shot of the film. It's also the last shot of the film. Uh, it, it starts and ends with that. Um, so that was an oddly, I mean, a surprisingly challenging thing. Um, I still feel like I could have done it better, but uh, <laughs> you know, I found I found what helped was moving moving the sound around a bit, like panning it so that there was some movement to it and it wasn't just static. That was a really challenging thing. Uh, I mean, I think one of the challenging things was just finding, just looking at the whole film, just finding kind of the uh, the shape of how the sound should work. I, I felt like we, towards the end of the mix, so so we did, the, Zach and Sean did that, that original mix, so then I picked up and I had their dialogue stem. I did a little bit more work on the dialogue, but it was pretty close. Uh, so I worked against that, the dialogue and music stem, and then we came in and did a second mix. Uh, I mixed it here in my studio at home, which was a big, you know, I wasn't sure how that was going to work out when I went <laughs> into Skywalker where we had, you know, a better room. Uh, and it worked out amazingly well, actually. But um, I think one of the things that, that we sort of figured out that really kind of unlocked the whole film was a it was almost like a bell curve. Like, like we started really quiet with no music, like you said, for the first seven minutes. And the way they had originally mixed it, the music stayed pretty loud throughout till the end of the film. And what we finally figured out at the end was to, to bring the music out slowly, slowly, slowly until by the end of the film, you're back with just silence, which is of course not really silence. It's, you know, the sound of nature. Um, so that's not, I wouldn't say that's a complicated thing, but it took us a while to kind of find that. And I think when we did, it kind of just, the whole film, it just, it worked. That's what it seems like, you know, if, if it was me in the middle of it, that I would have been really, uh, I guess, trying to find also is those places where you're having to 
break some specific type of rules that you, or just things that always work in other contexts because of the context of what this is. You have to give yourself permission to do things like run music lower than you would usually run it and, or run ambiences at a certain spot or even run dialogue in a different way so that you can set up or come in and out of those kind of longer, quieter sequences that just don't exist in most other films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a real challenge and, and there were places where I, um, uh because of the problem I was talking about with, you know, dialogue hitting in so hard after a quiet sequence where we would actually kind of ramp the dialogue in a little bit. I mean, we tried to make it subtle enough that you weren't totally aware of it, but yeah, yeah to just kind of smooth those transitions a little bit, you know, I'm yeah, not sure if that's sure. something you would do in a normal context, but. Is there any point in the film where there, it is actually like complete silence or is there always just something bubbling in the background? There is one point in the film where it goes to complete silence, which is they go into an anechoic chamber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, it's very effective, I think. I mean, you know, at least it, in, the, in the stag theater up at Skywalker, where silence is pretty close to silence, you really feel it. It feels like the air sucked out of the room. <laughs> you know. I, that's, that's, what, that's on my bucket list. I've got to get into an anechoic chamber at some point. Just yeah, to I've never been it. either. I have to do it at some point. I, I can't pass from this earth without having done that <laughs> once. Yeah. And I hear it's a very strange experience. <laughs> the reason you get dizzy in those kind of places or you lose your equilibrium is because you're constantly hearing the reflection of the world from the ground underneath your feet. And that's part of what we use to keep ourselves upright. And when we lose that, we kind of uh, lose our anchor to gravity, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of an interesting thing about that. <laughs> Are there, are there any things that you took from this, from working on this type of film that you're kind of taking into the rest of your work um, that you're doing over there at Skywalker? That's an interesting question. It's so unlike most of the other stuff that I'm working on over there. Um, what, one of the things that was really awesome about this method of working was that we did a complete pass and mix on the OMF and the dialogue beforehand. There's almost never an opportunity where you could make a film like that, but it was a really great way to work you know, to be able to work against that. So that, that was maybe my takeaway is I would love to be able to do that again in the future. Good luck. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, actually speak to that a little bit. Why is that so important? Or, or what do you benefit as a sound designer from having, you know, fully mixed uh, dialogue and music to play against? Well, you know, if you're just listening to a guide track, you know, you don't know necessarily how cleaned up the dialogue is going to be able to be or, or, or what, is able to be salvaged or, you know, in some cases, Sean was able to take some of the, the ambient stuff that they recorded and kind of build a bit of an ambience out of it. You know, I really knew kind of what we had to work with. And obviously the dialogue levels were kind of where they needed to be and everything. So as I said, this is a very low budget project. So the way that we did it is I mixed it here in my home studio where I've got 5-1 monitoring, but, you know, I wouldn't trust probably going out into a real theater. So I wanted, so we booked two days a two day long mix uh, in one of the pod rooms at Skywalker, which are kind of small, you know, they're like, it's like a home theater size. We actually interviewed someone from one of the pod rooms a couple, um, like a month and a half ago there. Nia, right? Yeah. Nia. Yeah. 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 I heard that podcast. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are great rooms. I mean, short of being on a big film, you know, mix stage, but two days to mix a feature length film is absurd. Right. So it was more just kind of like tweaking and, and, and just checking the mix that I'd done at home. How did you find it translated? 
amazingly well. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, I spent a lot of time at home tweaking my room and getting all the levels and everything right. So what we did is we mixed for a day, and then they let us go into the Stag Theater to just check our mix. So we had mixed, like, the first half of the film, but we decided to just screen the whole thing. So while we were in the Stag, we heard, you know, the, the part that we had fixed in the, in, the, in the pod, and then the second half, which was just mixed in my house, and I couldn't believe how well it worked. Wow. I mean, I was really surprised. Even the panning and everything worked out pretty well. So, um, you know, it's definitely not the preferred way of doing it, but for a <laughs> low-budget project like this, it's, it, I don't think it could have happened. Yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get it out in the world. Yeah, it was a cool way of working. Okay, so why don't we take a step back now from this particular film and talk about how you got started in sound and maybe how you ended up at Skywalker. Uh, it was a circuitous route. Uh, I mean, I started off as a musician. I went to school for music. So I didn't really go to like film school or even, you know, school for doing post sound. I heard somebody talking about sound effects for film. I was like, wow, that's, uh, so I got interested in it and I started, and I can't explain why I was living in the Bay area. And I thought, gee, I really need to go to LA to do this, which, I mean, I guess that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, except that Skywalker is up here. I'm just not sure why I didn't go knock on their door at that time, <laughs> but I went to LA and I got, you know, hustled around and got a lot of numbers and. Um, finally ended up at a place called Acme Soundworks, which was this, it was great. I mean, it was kind of chaotic down there, but it was a really fun group of people. And, you know, that's kind of where I learned, learned how to do it. I mean, I was in LA for, I think, nine or 10 years and I never loved LA. So I finally got to a point where I was like, I either, I got to settle here or I got to leave one of the two. So obviously I left. And once I was back in the Bay area, um, sort of still didn't have an inn up at Skywalker it was a long, slow process. I mean, it's, it's, it's not an easy place to, even with a lot of, I had a ton of experience at that point, but you know, it wasn't easy getting in the door. I think what really opened things up for me, honestly, was, um, I got hired on House of Cards, which, you know, Ren Kleiss, who, you know, I'm sure you guys know, I think he liked my work and I think that really helped me out up at the ranch. Things seemed to open up for me after, after he put in a good word for me. So thank you, Ren. That's a tough ear to impress right there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Ren is great. So you've been on House of Cards since the beginning? Almost the beginning. I did like one episode in season one, and then I've been on since season two. And what's your role on House of Cards? I do, uh, you know, well, there's, there's, we have a sort of an A team and a B team because things move pretty quickly. So checkerboard episodes, basically. So uh, okay. I'm doing all the sound effects and sound design stuff. I mean, that's, that's been a really fun gig. And it's the level of quality that Fincher establishes. He doesn't suffer fools. And <laughs> he likes, he doesn't care it's a TV show. He wants it feature quality. So uh, so it's, it's been a really cool gig. I mean, we're not skimping. What's your show. turnaround per episode on that? Uh, I think we have, let's see, on House of Cards, we have like seven or eight days wow. to do like a 45 minute. Yeah, it's fast. Wow. You got to be on your game. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time. One thing with TV that you have to kind of rely on, I think is, you know, you've got reoccurring locations. So we've figured out how to, how to deal with it is to, we create these, uh, you know, we have a set template and then we have these clip groups that are the whole width of the template so that you can drag in, you know, I mean, it's not like a just drag and drop, you have to yeah. rework the scene and everything, but you've got the basic elements that you need. But, you know, then what's cool about it is then there's new stuff and there's there's design stuff and there's, you know, there's always stuff in each episode to keep you interested. It seems like you have a good uh, relationship with the directors because Patrick, uh, the director of In Pursuit of Silence, when I contacted him to get in touch with you, he went off on uh, how brilliant you are. Brilliant? Yeah, he used the well, word brilliant. 
Now that I yeah. talk to you, I realize he was completely over exaggerating. But <laughs> <laughs> I would have to agree with that. Uh, I mean, those guys are like are the nicest guys, literally on the planet. So, like you know, in terms of clients, you know, like when we were in the mix, you know, he would look at something we needed to make a decision, and he'd just make a decision, and we'd move on. Oh, and, that's so uh, great. It really just helped, you know, when you don't have a lot of time, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like I said, two days there on the pod and it, it was just, you know, it went really smoothly. You know, we set up a schedule and we just did it and we got through all of it. And, uh, I would say as a result, I mean this, you know, for any directors who might be listening, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck if you can figure out how to make those decisions quickly. It's nice when everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, it's very different sometimes when you when you have conflicts with regards to you know what you're trying to do creatively, or when you're being asked to do something that that you may or may not feel is that you're capable of, or that or that would work. Sometimes people will ask you for things that you're you're pretty sure are not going to work, and so it's always nice for everyone to just kind of be on the same page and also uh, kind of recognize that everyone's here trying to do good work with the individual parts of the medium that we're putting our hands on. Yeah, I would say the one thing, as I think back on it, that we maybe were not 100% in agreement about, you know, whether to play all the the ambient sounds that were really quiet, as quiet as they did. Because I felt, you know, in a theatrical setting that you maybe need to play that stuff up a little bit more. But, you know, I think it plays great. That was what, he's the director, that's what he wanted. And I think it, you know... It's very effective. I'll say this. I sat on this film for a long time. You know, I was I was a backer and they sent they sent the link to it and it was just sitting there and I was like, I need to find some time where I'm not gonna sit and like watch it on my phone or I don't even want to watch it in my living room. I wanna go to the studio and watch this in you know, in an environment that I'm super, super familiar with and comfortable with and with the knowledge that this film is going to be super quiet. I want to sit in the quietest room possible exactly, yeah. to listen to this film. It's it's one of those films that it requires the environment to uh, to be at a certain level, you know, to get everything out of it, you know, more so than certain other ones do, for sure. Yeah, and I think it requires a lot of the audience, too. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, you really have to just calm yourself. And I mean, the shots yeah. last a long you gotta time. You leave your phone outside, man. You do. <laughs> well, you know, I, this film in some ways I think is a really probably important film at this moment in time in history too. You know, I mean, it's because, you know, it's, it is about sound, but it's, it's also about silence in the more spiritual sense. Definitely. And, you know, like there's a point in the film that deals with like, you know, just all the electronics we have around us and Facebook notifications going off all the time. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I think probably all of us could, me included, you know, could stand to um, quiet ourselves, you know, a little bit. Yeah. So we want to really encourage everyone listening out there to try and search out this film because uh, it's one that I think is, it's obviously going to be interesting topic to anyone that's listening to this podcast. But uh, I think it's a really different film experience than anything else you're going to have. And if you can go see it in a theater, that would definitely be ideal. But if not, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have access to some pretty sweet speakers and a screening room of some sort. So uh, make some time, set aside, sit back and let it wash over you. Because as I mentioned earlier, it's beautiful as well as the sound is super interesting. So I'm very jealous that you got to work on it, Steve. (laughs) Well, when I heard they were doing it, I blocked everyone else out. I was like, I'm on that. I want to do it. Yeah, those guys are are really poets, really. I mean, in their heart, yeah. I think they it, it's they're beautiful cinematographers, and 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 yeah, it's a really special film. And you know, it gets into a lot of other stuff too. Beyond, um, I mean, it, it deals with everything from you know monks who've taken a vow of silence, but it also gets into stuff like product design and how people are, yeah. you know, trying to make product make our environment quieter. You know, yeah, um, that's something that I'm personally very interested in. 
um, is, you know, like every time I see the article that, that periodically comes up about how they're going to start putting speakers in electronic cars so people can hear them, I immediately jump on Twitter and type, no, don't do that. <laughs> that would be awful for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much industrial design that, that does affect not only our lives, but also kind of like nature and the kind of the world around us. And uh, yeah, the, the film is just, it really does a good job of not being preachy and yet at the same time, just kind of going through and exploring all those different things uh, that really do a kind of affect us in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. It's, it a, it's a work of art and you did, you did beautiful work on it. It's really nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. It was fun. I'm really glad to be able to uh, promote this film too, because it's a really, I agree with you guys. It's, you know, it's a small film that won't get a wide distribution, but it's something that I think should be, should get out there. And and I think we've all worked on films and projects that we're not so eager to help push. So it's nice (laughs) when you have one that you want to help get out in the world. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, it's, it was a cool project. So. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in our show. Thanks to Steve Bissinger for jumping on with us today. Uh, thanks to Stacey DuPost for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can go find the trailer for In Pursuit of Silence on our website, tonebenderspodcast.com. From there, you'll be able to find a link. Go buy the film. Go watch the film. It, it really is a work of art. You should go check it out. Uh, you can follow the show at The Tonebenders and go to tonebenderspodcast.com to leave a comment. You can support the podcast by shopping at tonebenderspodcast.com slash Amazon or tonebenderspodcast.com slash B&H. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tonebenders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tonebenders on Twitter or find Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com. <laughs>